All right, time to wake up. We are going to have a lot of fun, and I am excited because I'm going to share some embarrassing stuff about myself because it's a series on love, right? And I'm a guy, and guys do really foolish things when, when they're in love. And, and so I have the luxury of having an amazing, beautiful, fantastic, patient, Kind, what else? Come on, give me some other verbs. Uh, she is a wonderful wife, but at one time, she didn't want anything to do with me. Believe it or not, as much as I was flicking the ladies away, she was the one who didn't want anything to do with me. And so I remember when I first met her, I was that fanatic stalker. If you've actually had a stalker, I apologize. I was that guy. She was smart, but she was humble. She was fun, but she wasn't a partier. I thought, she's too fun to be a Christian. I remember thinking that. And then I realized, man, following Jesus is so much fun. And she was all these great, great qualities. And I still remember the very first pickup line I told her. I remember. I said, girl. She said, what? <laughs> you want to hear it, don't you? You guys want to hear it? I said, girl, if you were a transformer you'd be Optimus Fine. <laughs> no, no booing. Come on. But, but seriously, you know, the, I, I, wait a minute. Guys, I, I apologize. That was not the pickup line. I actually have another one. That was my first girlfriend. Sorry. Um, no, no. Th this is it. This is it. I promise. Okay? I'm not even joking. I'm going to be real with you. I said, I said, girl, are you a bank? because you got my interest. <laughs> no! Okay, all right, I gotta get serious. I don't have enough time, but, but, but the whole point is this. She was my Google, she was everything I was searching for, and I just wanted to be with her. I wanted to be with her, and I would do these crazy things, and eventually she's like, I wanna slow down. And I was like, nope, I'm going after her. And the joke is, and I've said this on the stage before, I remember we went for a run one, one night, and I was running, training for soccer, and she was training for basketball, and we're running around Moberly, Missouri, and, and we went up, and it was a Friday night, and so we went to the football game, and we're leaning on the fence, we're watching the game, and she's actually in a relationship, yeah, that guy. And so I knew they were on their way out, but I hadn't made a move yet or anything. And so we're leaning on the fence and, and I said this to her, and some of you are going to remember this story. And I said, hey, what's going on with that guy? His name was Pepe, by the way, never dated Pepe. And so we're leaning on the fence and I'm like, whatever happened to that guy? You guys still together? She's like, actually, we broke up. And I looked over, I said, bad for him, good for me. <laughs> yes. But I was crazy about her. We all want love. We all desire love. And, and I think about it, that search, no one is exempt from it. No matter uh, the money, the job, the vacay, the kids, the grandkids, the home, the car, all these things are good, but none of it is what we were made for. Our object of, of our very existence is love. We were created to need it, and God has provided it for you and for me. The crazy thing about all this is you are loved more than you can ever imagine by the one 
who created you. And last week we were able to start this series, All You Need Is Love. And I have the privilege, as Aquila had mentioned earlier, to share a story that many of us are familiar with. A story of the prodigal son. And this is a chapter that just shows and showers us with the love of God. I mean, think about this chapter in, in Luke 15, and, and it's up there with uh, 1 Corinthians 13, or, or, the, or the Psalm 139, or the 1 John 4. This is just one of those chapters that you're just like, are you kidding me? You love me in that way? How could you love me this way? So much so, this is the only time in the entire Bible that Jesus, he shares three parables back to back to back with the exact same meaning. He wanted to get his point across, that I love you. Whether it's the story in the parable of the lost coin or the parable of the lost sheep, and even though we're gonna be talking about the, the, the parable and the story of the prodigal son, all the, three of these stories come down to his pursuit and his love of us. And so I'm gonna talk about three different things and, and you'll understand them when I dig in the word, but I wanna say it before to get you th thinking about it. So again, we're gonna be in Luke chapter 15 and I want you to turn to it. We're gonna have it up here as well. We're gonna be starting in verse 11 and the first part we're gonna talk about is what I call the far country. This entire section, about five verses, is what I will call the far country. So let's go ahead and dig in. This is what it says. Jesus continued. Here was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided the property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together. All he had set off for a far country and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. So we got this younger brother. And this younger brother actually had the audacity to go to his father and say, hey, just, just give me my inheritance now and let me go. So I was doing a lot of study on this. I'm like, is this even possible? Can, can someone at this time just go to their father and say, hey, I, I want it now and I wanna leave and I wanna separate myself from the family. And actually it's true, you could do that. There's different ways that, that, that a father could give their inheritance out, some of them, were giving the inheritance out periodically as they were alive. So they would give some at different seasons or junctions of the person's life. They would, they would give them part of their inheritance and they'd celebrate with them. Uh, of course, the, the, the normal way is once they pass on, then, then their, uh, what they had was divided up. But, but in this case, they could sign a contract and they could give their inheritance away and he could leave. So he wasted no time. He grabbed all his stuff. He took his inheritance and he went to what's known as a far country. And when I was studying this, something caught my eye as I was reading and studying the commentaries. And it says this, that in this far country, he went there to be as far away as possible from the watchful eye of his father. 
So I think about that. Why? Why did he want to go so far from the watchful eye of his father? It's simple. He wanted to live a life without restraint. I mean, he wanted to do whatever he wanted to do. He wanted, in this case, he wanted to get drunk. He wanted to have sex. He wanted to do whatever self-indulgence that he desired in that moment. And as a result, he soon wasted all his money. It was soon all gone. And to make matters worse, a severe famine started to occur in the far country. You know, the irony is because he left in order to get out of the sphere of the influence of his father to be free, uh, to be independent, to do what he wanted to do. But in return, he fell into a worse bondage than ever before. He fell into a season of hunger and pain. He exchanged real freedom with the obedience to the father to the shackles of false liberty. He entered the far country of sin and it left him impoverished and starved. That, that's what it gave him, those freedoms that he thought he was getting, it actually left him with poverty and starvation and he was deceived. So much so that he even was like, hey, I need a job. He got a job feeding hogs, and the hogs got food before he did. They were able to be fed, and his employer didn't even feed him. And if you know anything about the Jewish tradition, pigs were unclean animals. So that was one of the most detestable things that you could do is serve on a hog farm. So here we go, here's this guy trying to get a job on a hog farm, farm and he's feeding these hogs and he's feeding them in these pods and he's not getting food. So he goes ahead and starts trying to eat out of the pods. He was hungry and he was less important even than a pig because he was lost in the far country of sin. He was lost in this far country that became the cruelest and darkest season of his life. You know, I served at a church up in northern Indiana for three years, and I was able to experience in the first year and a half a season of great joy, of great growth. Uh, spiritually, people were going deeper. Uh, students were getting in the word. There was families that were coming to the church. Uh, the church had experienced uh, financial growth, which was something that was huge uh, for them to be able to serve the community and even add a couple more staff. It was just an amazing season for that first year and a half. And then something happened. The second part of my tenure there, uh, there became a stark division. And through that division with leadership, there started to be um, confusion. There started to be uh, people who were uncomfortable in that church setting. And, and to be honest, some people started to leave. They started to distrust leadership. They started to be in a place where, where they just didn't know what was true because they were hearing two different sides 
to the story. And, and I remember that first season being so exciting, being so amazing. I remember that second season being in a time where I was preaching sermons and I was counseling and, and, and I was doing youth events and I was investing in that community. But in my heart, I was in a far country. In my heart, I was hurting because I knew that uh, there were some things happening behind the scenes that I could not control. In my heart, I was at a place where even though I was doing things for God, uh, inside, I felt like I was in a far country. I felt like anger and, and bitterness and confusion and gossip, some of these things had engulfed myself, even though I was in that place. And so I think about us, some of us, we're here every single week. Some of us, this is one of the first times we've been back in a long time, or maybe this is our first time ever here. But you don't have to be someone who has not been here or who has not been here in a while to be in a far country. You don't need to be someone who has fallen in these crazy deep sins to fall into that prodigal lifestyle. And some of us, if we're not careful, uh, we can disguise our prodigal nature. We can disguise it with, with, with consistency. We can disguise it with certain things like serving. But in our heart, we really have to have a gut check. Am I in the far country? Am I in a place where I am battling through things internally? You know, maybe it's something as, as pride, Maybe it's gambling, maybe it's addiction, maybe it's pornography or greed or, or anger or, or bitterness or worry or fear or jealousy or lying. Maybe it's just things like you're just crippled by anxiety. But regardless, the whole point is we can be here and live still in the far country. And so here we are, and we got this story of this person who went and did these extreme acts of rebellion in the far country. And I don't want you to think for a second, man, this don't relate to me. This is not practical to my life. Because all of us can live in the far country. We might not live for a long time. We might choose a day to make that day the day we live in the far country. But then something happened here. It's the second part that I call the return. And the return is a very important time. And a lot of people, we get confused about the return. So we went to this far country, and now we get to the return. That starts in verse 17. This is what it says. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. This is an interesting part because I want us to understand this last, last section. And I want to put it up here because this is so key. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and he went to his father. So here he says, you know what? I don't care if I lose my name, my identity, I'll be a servant. But then he chose to do something here. He didn't wallow in self-pity, he got up and he went. He turned that into action. It says he came to his senses. 
He realized how foolish he had been for going to the far country. By tearing himself away from his father and the blessings that come with staying with the father. Isn't it amazing how hardships have a way of bringing someone to face the facts? Isn't it just so profound that that these things in our life, these situations in our life that are tragic are usually the greatest blessings to just slap us around, to to get our attention. In the words of of the great prophet Yoda, he said, the greatest teacher failure is. Wait, wait, I messed that up. The greatest teacher failure is. Okay, is that okay? Okay, another pickup line. All right, so here it is. The prodigal, he got to a place where he's like, man, my life really stinks. Like, I'm not just here in this far country away from my loved ones. You know, I've been partying with these people. I've been buying them drinks and buying them prostitutes. And I've been getting all these things I wanted. Well, now no one's around. Now no one's here to provide for me. I have a job. They won't even give me food. They won't even give me my provisions. When I was with my father, though, there was an abundance of food. When I was with my father, I was respected and loved and cared for and seen. And so he had this almost epiphany. Man, I'm I really screwed up. And sometimes it takes that hardship for us to open our eyes and change our ways. It's like God allows those moments to give us the opportunity to have a real awakening. And so in that moment where he's at rock bottom, he has that, that prodigal you know, personality that he's running and now he's, he's hit rock bottom, he took the first step towards true repentance. And that's the recognition that he had fallen into the sin of the far country. And it resulted in shame, of brokenness, of sorrow, of of depression. And so I want us to think for a second, have you ever had a moment where you've realized, you've recognized, man, I'm sinning, I'm messing up, I'm taking the wrong path, and you've had that realization, and you just are broken because you know that you've hurt your father, and and maybe your loved ones, and, and maybe your church, and, and maybe your friends, have you ever had a moment where you're like, I, I've sinned, and as a result, it has hurt so many. That's what's happening right here. He hit that rock bottom moment, and he realized how far he'd wandered. He'd realized he'd been tricked, he'd been fooled, he'd been deceived. And us, we've been in those moments and we cannot forget that we have an enemy that will do anything and everything to lead us away. Satan knows he cannot destroy the gospel. He knows he cannot destroy the name of Jesus. So he goes after you and he, and he goes after me. 
He tempts, he, he divides, he accuses, he schemes, he deceives, he lies, he stirs gossip, he feeds bitterness. I could imagine the prodigal coming to the realization that he had been completely fooled. But when he hit rock bottom, and when he hit rock bottom, he realized he didn't need to stay there. He had faith that the Father would not reject him. He believed in his Father. He could never have dreamed what a surprising reception was awaiting him. I want to put this up here. No matter how many steps you have taken away from God, it still only takes one step to get back. Only one. I have a friend, and I actually was able to lead this guy to Christ. Six foot six, basketball player, very successful. Now he's a, he's a trainer. He trains professional athletes. And he was dating one of uh, Amanda's roommates. And she was really strong in her faith, on fire for God. I mean, she was being bold with her family. She was being bold on her team. And she started liking this guy, but he was very new and very vulnerable and, and almost like in a different place than her. And, and I remember they dated for a little bit and then he just, he just fell away. He just fell away. He, he broke up with her. He broke her heart. He ended up going this wayward path. He ended up just going into a party scene, going in the bar scenes, dating different girls, not caring in any way how it hurt his, his former girlfriend. And so he kept spiraling down in this world and, and school was over and he was starting to try to get a job. And, and I still remember he just, he was one of those guys that, that you try to get a hold of him, you try to text him, you try to call him and he just would, he would leave you on red. He would not answer your call. He was rejecting the people that were trying to bring him back. So I remember with him that he got in a bar fight. So here he is, and he's in a bar fight, and, and he's punching someone, and the friend of the person he was punching came over to him and blindly punched him in the jaw. And so he punched him so hard in the jaw that his jaw detached <laughs> from his face. And I don't mean it fell off, it, it just, it broke every bone in his jaw. And so he woke up in the hospital. And there he is, and he opens his eyes, and he, and, he, and he can't talk. He can't feel anything lower than his bottom lip. And he opens his eyes. Here's a guy who'd run from God, who'd run from this godly woman, who'd run from the person who led him to Christ, who ran from his church community, and he'd done everything and anything you could imagine. And he opens his eyes, and there looking over him, was the girl that he'd hurt the most. And she was looking at him and he, and he couldn't say any words to her and he looked up at her and he was confused and she explained what had happened. She explained that he'd been knocked out. She explained that his jaw needed to be repaired. And he looked at her and he was so confused. The very person he had hurt the most had been the person to minister to him at his lowest moment. I remember talking to him later about that. 
And he said, that was the very first time that I understood the gospel. The very person I had rejected, I had hurt, I had damaged, and in my lowest moment, she was the one who loved me the most and sat by my bed and stood by me. He had that realization. He started his return home. That was what was happening with the prodigal. And that's what I call the last point, the freight train. Because the love of God, when it hits you, it'll hit you like a freight train. And it'll hit you so hard you won't even be able to breathe. You'll be so confused. You'll be so blown away because it doesn't make any sense in the eyes of the world. It'll hit you like a freight train. And that's what happens when he starts his journey home and he meets his father. Let's read this. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son. He threw his arms around him and he kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, quick, Bring the best robe, put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate for this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found and they began to celebrate. The heart of the father remained true in his love for the prodigal. So much so, when he was a far way off, he was looking for him, he was waiting for him, he noticed him, he had compassion for him, and he ran towards him. He didn't wait for him to come up to him and then cross his arms and say, I knew you'd fail, I knew you'd be a loser, I knew you'd come running back to me. He ran to meet him. And when he met him, his son, who was more broken and devastated than ever, actually fell into a deeper conviction because he saw the love of his father. And so his guilt and his shame and his remorse was more because he was met with an intense love that he never met. He was met with the freight train. He was met with true, unconditional, godly love. And in that moment, when he saw him, the father interrupted him. In that moment, he was saying, I'm not worthy to be called your son. He interrupted him. You know what happened? He said, get the rings, get the shoes, get the fattened calf, get the robe, bring it in. He didn't just forgive him, he reestablished him in the place of honor. He didn't just say, okay, come in here, work in the field, I'll pay you a wage, you can have this. He put him in the same place of honor he was at. He reestablished his sonship. He reestablished his place in his home. He killed the fattened calf that was set aside for special occasions because it was, he was worthy of a feast. You know, so often we view God as the heavenly record keeper. We think he's up there and he's, and he's looking at our sin. Oh, there we go again. Let me mark that in my folder. 
But that is contrary to the words of 1 Corinthians 13, that he keeps no record of wrongs. If there is true repentance, just like the previous parables about the lost sheep or lost coin, there is a rejoicing that happens in the heavens when someone who's lost is found. And here's the main point. You want to hear it? Here's the main point of it all. God loves you so much, he patiently awaits you to return to him. No matter what you've done in the past, he's ready to welcome you back. His love will hit you like a freight train. Can you say freight train? Because that's the love that hopefully has hit everybody in this room. And if it hasn't, let me tell you about Jesus. Because he loves you. He died for you. He awaits you. He cannot wait for a moment to be with you. He's a relational God. Now, if you know this story, you know there's another character. The elder brother, the older brother, and here he is. And, and he's actually stayed working for his father the whole time. So here's the commotion, he hears the excitement, he talks to some of the servants, say, hey man, your brother's back. He ain't happy. I mean, he's like a 2013 Louisville basketball fan because they lost to Michigan according to records, okay? He is that kind of person, right? Yeah, I knew I'd get some booze. He's that guy. He's not happy because here he is, he's been there the whole time and his brother's back and now everyone's excited. He has a conversation with his father because he was hearing all the commotion that was going on. And so he goes and, and ironically his father goes to meet him. He realizes that the brother's not coming to the party. So again, here the father who, who saw the prodigal in the distance and went to meet him, now he goes to meet the older brother. And so he goes and he talks to him. This is the conversation that happens. Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who had squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. You know, it's interesting here because we have the brother who wandered in his lifestyle, and now we have a brother who has adopted a, a theology that his relationship with his father is more of a slavish duty. So he's like, hey, I'm just here, and I'm doing all this work, and you're not paying any attention to me. And so now he has stayed with the father but it's more about what he does. It's more about legalism. It's more about the actions. I am this because of what I do. He lost the relationship part. You know, Jesus, it sounds like he's talking to religious leaders at the time, to the Pharisees who inwardly were so far from God, but on the outside, they looked really good. I mean, they were self-righteous. They were cold. They weren't full of grace. They weren't wanting anything to do with sinners. You know, I love this quote by John Orper. He says, one of the hardest things in the world is to stop being the prodigal son without turning into the older brother. And the truth is, 
We might lean towards one of these. We might not be the prodigal, but if we're real, there's probably one side we're tilting to. We might not be the one who's going and having sex with prostitutes and squandering our money, but we might be the one who's cold, who's legalistic, who's numb, who doesn't love, who judges. And the important question is, whether you're the prodigal or the elder brother, are you in the far country? Are you like the older brother, outwardly religious and respectable, but inwardly empty and estranged from God? Where are you? You know, I share a lot of stories about my mom and and I love my mom. She's this crazy, charismatic, five foot Greek lady. And I've shared some stories about her, whether it was the time where I was at soccer practice and she drove down on the soccer field to pick me up, or the time that she knocked on the window of my classroom and had breakfast waiting for me because I didn't eat it when I left the home. She'd done all these things to embarrass me. Second grade, she went to school to comb my hair. You know, she did all these things that made me the crazy guy I am today. And and I love her for it and I despise her for it. But the thing is this, she is very comfortable in the skin and the life that she's been given. She loves Jesus so much. I remember a story and I have shared this in the past. She was telling me this story and I was like, hey, what happened mom? She went to her 30th high school reunion. So she goes to inner city Chicago. We're living in Michigan at the time, Proviso East High School. And she's there and everyone's saying hi to each other and what are you doing now? And, and, and this lady marches right up to her. She looks her in the eyes and she said, Halla? She said, yeah. And she said, do I know you? And she said, yes. She said it was her senior year almost 31 years ago. And I was struggling so deeply. I was broken, my family was a mess. I was in a dark, dark place and I was at school and I just remember having no hope. I remember just not wanting to do it anymore, to not wanna be part of this world anymore. I remember I was in the hall and I was just walking with my head down and you saw me and you said, you doing okay? I said, yeah, I'm doing okay. I'm just going through some stuff. You looked me in the eyes and you said, I'm going to be praying for you every single night. She proceeded to say, I went home that night. Things didn't get better. So I went to my dad's room and I, and I found his gun. I grabbed the gun, I loaded it. I put it to my head. And in the moment I was weeping, I was, I was crying, I was broken as, as I held it to my temple and I pushed it into my skin. And right before I pulled the trigger, I was thinking, nobody cares, no one will miss me, I am nothing. And in that moment, a silent whisper came, Halla cares. Hal is praying for you. She set that gun down. She said it 
move that someone cared so deeply to even choose to pray for her at night. So my mom's talking to her 31 years later. She says, I've given my life to Jesus and I would not be here today if it wasn't for you. I think some of the greatest ways God gets our attention when we've wandered is through people. Through his church, through music, his word. My mom was a lady who was able to bring a prodigal home. You might not be a prodigal, but you can be part of bringing a prodigal home. We're not called to construct walls that create more safety, but to build bridges that bring the prodigal home. Let's not be a safe church that bunkers down in fear. Let's go into the world fighting and combating the moves of the enemy for the sake of the prodigal. He's lost in a far country. He doesn't know what is at stake. He doesn't understand all that it'll cost. Whether it's us that's the prodigal or we know the person we need to go after, when life gets hard to stand, kneel. Never forgetting the love of the Father and his pursuit of the Son. Father God, I pray right now that we never forget the pursuit and the love of you for your lost children. That you don't wait for us to meet you, you run after us, you embrace us fiercely, kissing us, hugging us. You're a God who doesn't hold a tablet with everything that we've done. You forgive, you wash us as white as snow, you reestablish us with a ring and a robe and shoes. You bless our life with the fattened calf. We don't have to rework our way up the ladder. You establish us as sons and daughters of a king. And Father, I pray for that person tonight who's in the far country. I pray for them to start that journey home to experience that freight train love of you. And I pray for that to happen right now. God, we love you, we thank you. We are eternally grateful for the story of the prodigal because we've all been there. We've all been in that land far, far away thinking it's gonna fill our cup when all it does is empty it. We love you and we pray this all in your name. And all God's people said, amen.